from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Meet Levi Gildersleeve and follow along as he rescues rare and scary books, meets even scarier witches, and becomes the only male figure in the life of the scariest witch of all. Ex-Israeli soldier, international traveler, and scholar of ancient literature, this is the man who helped shape the most powerful witch in existence. John Conroe was raised in St. Lawrence County, New York, a few heartbeats away from the Canadian border at the very top of the state. The Demon Accords were born with the book God Touched, a novel that proved vampires didn't need to be either sparkly or male to totally rock. With 18 books in that series, Conroe has also completed a three-volume science fiction series, Zone War. He is currently writing another Demon Accords book and starting a new fantasy series. His 11th book in the Demon Accords, Snake Eyes, was nominated for a 2018 Audio Award for Fantasy. Operating out of an undisclosed location in Maine, Conroe has wrapped up his financial career to pursue writing urban fantasy and science fiction full-time. His fans will be excited to know that his wife has commissioned a new writing task, complete with like chains. And now, a sample of Demon Accord's beginnings, episode one. The door of my bookstore jingled, causing me to look up. Carl, in his brown uniform, wore a big smile as he approached the counter with two packages balanced on one hand and his electronic tablet in the other. Daily drop-off, Levi, he said, setting both boxes down in front of me. He made a notation with a stylus on his device before turning it toward me and handing me the stylus. Signatures needed for both. Not every single package that came through treasured words required a signature, but probably half did. Something about sending fragile and valuable works of literature across the globe brought on a need for insurance and acceptance signatures. My store was only a month old, yet I'd seen Carl almost every day since I first flipped the sign to open. Thanks, bud. I've been waiting for these, I said, as I confirmed the sender's addresses. Hey, my wife wanted to know if you'd been to Rowan West yet. Not yet, but at least six people have mentioned it to me in the past two weeks. That good, huh? Better, he said. The menu is a bit eclectic, but leans heavy towards Irish pub fare, you know? Like bangers and mash, fish and chips, shepherd's pie, stuff like that. But then, they have a lot of American standbys like buttermilk fried chicken, awesome burgers, and, and a mac and cheese that should be illegal. If that's not enough, Ashlyn, she's the owner, is also really good at Italian dishes. Handmade pastas and flatbread pizzas, you have to try it. He suddenly smirked a bit as he remembered something. Oh, and they have a gift shop. You might find some of the books there interesting. A restaurant with a gift shop? I asked. He grinned. Oh, so much more than a gift shop. Maybe not a gift shop, but a witch shop. Anyway, you should check it out. Gotta run, he said, leaving as quickly as he arrived. As the bells on the door stopped their second jingles, I studied my two packages. 
One bore a return address from a bookstore in London, most likely the first edition of In Memoriam A.H.H. by Tennyson I had acquired for a client. The other was postmarked Tel Aviv, meaning it was not, therefore, the Robert W. Service collection I was expecting. There was no sender's name or address, but I was instantly intrigued, suddenly gripped by one of my hunches. There was a certain rabbi of my acquaintance who helped families of deceased peers monetize obscure private writings. Working carefully, I used a box cutter with a fresh blade to slice open the box, inserting just the very smallest tip of the razor through the heavy tape. Inside, the book-shaped object was thoroughly protected with layers of bubble wrap, then package paper and finally tissue paper. The dark brown tome revealed under all that protection wore a prominent Star of David on its cover with Hebrew lettering underneath. My own bar mitzvah had happened long ago, but my trade in international books had kept my reading skills sharp. The Journal of Zedekiah, probably an associate of my rabbi friend. I gently touched the cover to open it, and instead I felt an instant premonition. This book was more than just paper, ink, and glue. It held power of a kind that I had sensed before in other books and even some objects, power of a kind that used to be called magic. Suddenly, Carl's words popped into my mind, witch shop. I had an instant powerful craving for fish and chips. Rowan West was a long, one-story building set up on a big lot just on the outskirts of Castlebury. It was partway up what the locals called Macomb Hill, and there was a nice view of the Vermont countryside from the parking lot. The building itself had been recently sided with brown barn wood, which made it pair nicely with the actual barn that sat behind the building. The top of a large deciduous tree rose behind the restaurant and a rather incongruous steel shipping container was set to the left of the building. The main entrance to the restaurant was on the far right, although there was another door to the left, clearly marked private. The lot was three quarters full of cars, even though it was only just approaching five o'clock on a Tuesday, which lent support to all the recommendations I had heard. All in all, it seemed like a local's favorite tucked slightly out of the way on the edge of town. My first indication that it might be something more came when I stepped over the threshold, something brushing over my skin like walking through cobwebs. A ward, albeit a light one, protecting the premises. My hopes rose even further. Just one? The pretty teenage hostess asked with a smile. Yes, if you have room. There's still plenty of tables, she said, grabbing a laminated menu and leading me toward the back wall where there was a row of two-person tables. A wall of windows to my right caught my attention, clearly displaying a gift shop area that Carl had mentioned, and I could immediately see what he had meant. Crystals on strings and dream catchers hung in the windows and shelves of books and things were visible beyond. What an interesting-looking shop. I commented to my guide. It's very much that, she agreed. A wide variety of local pottery, art, and crafts mixed in with a curated selection of New Age supplies and books. Her delivery and choice of words told me that someone had schooled the staff in how to describe the retail space. Your waitress will be right over, 
she said, leaving the menu at one of the two settings. It happened to be facing the shop, so I settled in, alternating my attention between the menu and the shop. I already knew I wanted the fish and chips, so it was more a question of what to drink. Welcome to Rowan West. Can I start you with a beverage? A middle-aged waitress asked. Guinness, please, and I'm ready to order the fish and chips. Well, that makes it easy, doesn't it? She said. I'll get that right in and be back with your beer in just a sec. She slipped away, taking the menu, which left me just the shop's windows to occupy my attention. I've not seen you around. Are you new to Rowan West? A light voice asked in a lilting brogue. I turned and found a very pretty woman almost at my elbow. She wore a black and green plaid shirt tucked into well-fitted jeans with brown flats on her feet. I recognized the shirt pattern as black watch tartan. New to Rowan West, new to Castlebury, Vermont, I said, smiling automatically. She had wavy brown hair and clear blue eyes and was extremely attractive. Are you the owner? I hazarded. That I am. Ashlyn O'Carroll, proprietor, she said, holding out a slim hand. I shook it firmly and was pleased to have my grip returned with exactly the same level of pressure. Levi Gildersleeve, bookseller. Oh, you must be the owner of that new shop in town, Treasured Words. Guilty as charged, although I can see I have some competition, I said, nodding toward her shop. I've peered into your windows, Mr. Gildersleeve, and I don't for an instant believe that we sell similar products. Well, I haven't had a chance yet to peruse your inventory, but I favor books of all kinds, and only half my business is tied up in the store, I said. Only half, you say? Yes. I also specialize in procuring rare editions for a broad clientele of very serious collectors. Then I'm doubly certain you'll not find anything rare or valuable in there, she said with a dismissive wave toward the shop. I'll still take a look, if that's all right, Miss O'Carroll. I said. You never know what might be hidden in the out-of-way places. A frown flashed across her face, so fast that if I hadn't been looking at her, I would have missed it completely. She held my eyes for a moment, her good humor gone, before giving me a nod. Well, help yourself, and enjoy your meal. She moved away toward the kitchen doors, pausing to speak to various customers before finally stopping by a young boy who was clearly bussing the tables and clearly not loving it. She spoke to him, and he nodded once, lifted his tray, and carried it into the kitchen. Feeling like I had somehow offended her, I decided to look in the shop while I waited for my food. It was bright and well-lit, complete with its own checkout counter, although no one was manning it. The shelves were full of New Age books covering everything from tarot reading to crystals to herbology and holistic health. Books on yoga shared space next to tomes on spiritualism, ghosts, Bigfoot, Lake Champlain's Champ Lake Monster, and organic gardening. There was a very complete collection of incenses from all over the world with pendants, geodes, and even a collection of giant shark teeth that I recognized as belonging to prehistoric megalodons. There was one whole wall displaying packets of herbs, and it was an immense collection. The whole shop was very well displayed, dust-free and broad in scope. 
Not a lot of touristy stuff, but rather, as the young hostess had said, a well-curated collection for serious practitioners of alternative religions and spiritualism and other practices. There were also plants everywhere, some for sale, some not, and now that I noticed them, I saw other plants all throughout the entire restaurant. It was that display of living greenery that made up my mind. Ashlyn O'Carroll was a witch, or I'd eat my newest book. So before we talk to our author, let's talk about pro writing aid. And I think one of the really, (laughs) (laughs) what? who are they? Uh, (laughs) I think one of the really interesting things that they're doing right now is they're doing genre theme weeks. So like March, um, so like February 28th to March 3rd is fantasy writers week and they have best-selling authors and educators coming in to help uh, with outlining, writing, editing, publishing. You can meet other writers, you know, and if you can't make it live, they have replays. So I think that is fantastic. And I kind of want to look at some of the things they're doing. They have fun games like roll dice for fantasy prompts. (laughs) We should roll the dice right now and figure out what we get. Um, Give me a prompt. You have to roll the dice. And if you roll a one, your first dice so roll is you. your character. Your second dice roll is an object. And the third dice roll is your situation. So, I don't know. It's like the one and only moment that I don't actually have dice in front of me. I know, right? I was like, my dice are in the other room and I'm tethered to this microphone. But that looks like a really fun game. So, they have all kinds of things about, you know, how to create characters, how to write YA fantasy. And they do this consistently for different genres talking about world building talking about how to do large casts if you want to you know write like sanderson (laughs) hard magic soft magic so way more than just grammar i have dice okay i want i want to do this this okay okay six-sided die three times yep all right i got a one a two and a two give me my prompt so your character is a traveler. Their object is a wand. And the situation is a grudge battle. <laughs> oh, that is a total wizard duel. We know it is. It's going to be epic. Uh, <laughs> something is about to go down. Yeah. So hop over to prowritingaid.com. Have some fun. Learn some stuff about writing. Use our discount No, code. that's... I mean, that's pretty awesome, in my opinion, that not only is it a software tool that you can use for editing, but the fact that they have these moments where they're bringing people on, basically, it's just part of the package of being a member of Pro Writing Aid. You can listen in on these talks, you can get a better idea as to like what your genre is, or if you're interested in genre hopping around, uh, that gives you a good opportunity right there and then. So definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, ProWritingAid.com. Our promo code for 20% off is Serial20, S-E-R-I-A-L-20. Roll them dice. Roll them dice. (laughs) All right. Roll them bones. All right. So we have an ex-Israeli soldier and a take-no-crap witch forming an uneasy alliance over books. 
with 16 books in the Demon Accord series, what sparked your uh, you to write a prequel on Vela? Uh, so I've, I've written a number of compendiums, and at times when I'm writing a, a regular full-length novel, there are pieces of the story that pop into my head uncontrollably, and I want to explore those a little more, and I feel like some of my readers want to explore them a little more. So I started doing some compendium of short stories. They uh, sometimes add to the overall story arc of the series. Sometimes they don't, but we get a little backstory of the, um, of the characters. Uh, so Amazon came to me, my representative came to me and said, we're thinking about doing this thing called Vela. What do you think of it? And I said, gee, I think that's a brilliant idea. I have read other authors who uh, did some serial work on their websites. And then when they got done, they would publish it as a full length book. They'd re-edit it, put it out. And I thought that was a great way to keep people engaged. I found myself every Friday waiting for them to put out their next episode. And if for some reason they got held up, I'd be like, darn, what's going on? So. Uh, I thought it was a great idea, and for me, it's a great idea to explore other characters and to go into prequel time, which is what this this uh, first Vela was. It's to go back in the early days of uh, Declan O'Carroll and find out more about him from the real only male father figure in his life. And part of what I do when I write the series is it's sort of an exploration of power. You know, my characters are often considered overpowered, and what would you do with that? How many people could resist the temptation and not just do whatever they wanted? So how do you raise a witch who can almost do anything he wants and keep him from the dark side, especially when the dark side has cookies? So that's uh, really um, kind of what I wanted to do with this. And I wanted to see how this uh, ex-Israeli soldier had so much impact on a boy who, as I'm writing the final books of the series, um, it's kind of my infinity war for the Demon Accords. And as I'm writing that, we're, we're seeing more and more of Declan and the temptations that he faces and the choices that he makes. And I wanted to know, how, how did he get to that? What, what parental figure, you know, helped him do that? I know with boys, you know, the mother is a hugely important figure. But to learn to be a man, we often need a man to teach us that. And what man taught Declan? So this is this is um, Levi's story. Yeah, and Levi is definitely an interesting character. He sucked me in right away, especially because he's a book collector. What author doesn't love a good book collector? I have to know. Do you do any book collecting yourself? Uh, not really. I uh, love to haunt old bookstores. Um, you know, whenever we're anywhere, uh, most of my family is like that. So I have a daughter who's an English teacher. And if you want to trap a Conroe, put a bookstore in a place and we will just go right into it without, you know, it's like, like flies to, uh, to honey or something. So um, I thought, what would it be like to have this, you know, sort of badass uh, Israeli soldier, but he's really into literature and old books and, and things of that nature. And, and he also has a little bent toward the supernatural side. He's got a little touch of the sight. And he can sort of sense when some book or another has got just a little bit more to it than meets the eye. So um, that's just kind of the word Levi comes to. Definitely. Uh, do you have any favorite bookstore you want to give a shout out to? Well, I, I have one here in Portland that actually sells some of my printed copies with, with um, um, my signing in it. And that is Print, a bookstore in downtown Portland. 
but I have too many favorite bookstores to to we'd spend our whole interview listing them. <laughs> Want to do that? Definitely. Uh, so, uh, what part of the serial are you most excited for readers to read about, and why? Uh, I think some of the early years of Declan. You know, how do you how do you raise a little kid um, who modifies reality with a thought? And how do you correct his behavior? I've got two daughters that I've had a hand in raising. Um, my wife has certainly done a lion's share of, of things with them. But I haven't messed them up too badly. So I feel like, um, you know, how do you raise a kid that could get out of anything um, if you don't have a way to reinforce that? And while his aunt, Ashling, is definitely a, a powerhouse of a witch, um, it, it's, he's already proven that he really can't be contained too easily. So really you have to get him to do it himself and he has to want to do that and you have to create a, a set of principles and guidelines for him to live by that will um, allow him to keep within society's rules. So in this serial, which character are you excited to show readers and why? Um, well, they already know Declan very well. I think they. I really want them to get to know Levi uh, because he, he has... Um, played a role throughout the series, but we really don't know a huge amount about Levi when we meet him in the books. And we also get to meet um, Ashling's uh, life partner, Darcy, and we find out more about her tough nature and, and then the soft undercurrent that she has. So how does your experience with martial arts play into the serial? Uh, so, yeah, I've been a lifelong dabbler in martial arts. I'm not a black belt in anything, but I've, I've spent a lot of time studying different uh, um, styles. And I think that ultimately you blend together everything you learn to try to help you understand martial arts. And Krav Maga was something I took up once I realized that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, I got injured in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and realized that I needed to either spend a whole lot more time doing it so that I was in, in better Jiu-Jitsu shape, or I needed to do something that was going to be less uh, destructive on my, my joints and ligaments. So I tried Krav Maga, and I liked the no-nonsense approach to it. It's more, it's not a, a sport, it's a combat uh, system, and I think that that has real-world application, which is what it was built for. So, you know, I, I think everyone, I have a quote somewhere from Robert Heinlein about everyone should be capable of doing a lot of different things and that specialization is for insects. And I've always <laughs> identified with that, it kind of fit in with the Boy Scout be prepared type of thing. And I, I, so I thought, gee, everyone should have some martial arts background. They should learn, you know, A, how to handle themselves, but also instill some discipline and respect and, um, gives you sort of a, a better world outlook. Yeah, I agree. That Brazilian, I can't even say it, Brazilian jiu-jitsu though, that's some serious stuff. When I've watched some of those fights, I'm like, oh my goodness. But yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> it's, um, it is uh, uh, using the human body to take out another human body. So yeah, and, and um, it, most fights end up on the ground. So jiu-jitsu comes into play. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, my dad was a Taekwondo black belt, but you know, they're distance fighters, right? So probably I once started, you get them on the ground, there's not too much you can do. Well, that's it. I started with Taekwondo and um, <laughs> didn't do any wrestling in school or anything. And then I realized that most fights, you know, as soon as somebody gets a hold of you and you start to grapple, 
those kicks and punches aren't doing as much. So you better learn how to handle the, the grappling part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so getting back to your cereal, have you had any fan interaction with your Vela cereal? Um, I have a lot of fans who are excited about it. I've had some of them who were, um, they were reluctant to get into it. They wanted the full length books, but it was taking so long for the book to come out that they said, Oh darn it. I'll just go ahead and try this. And now they're like hooked on it and they want to know more about, uh, both, uh, Levi. And then I have a second Vela that I've been working on called dark and night. And that explores another side character. Uh, her name is Katrina and she's uh, kind of a sociopathic uh, vampire. And, uh, that one's been fun to explore as well. There's somebody who's, you know, um, backstory, I think, was interesting to a lot of different uh, readers. And I've had people tell me that, too. They write in and they say, I'm enjoying, you know, hearing both stories. So with the serial Dark and Night, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that one? Yeah, so uh, Katrina Westing is a vampire who was changed at the age of 12. And in my universe, young child vampires are, are heavily, heavily frowned upon by other vampires. It's just not something that's done and it's also something that most vampires don't survive because being trapped in a child's body as you age into your decades uh, is probably almost one of the worst forms of hell that you could think of. And she makes it 170 years until we meet her in the Demon Accord series. And in that series, without giving too much away, she is um, offered a relief from her hell and is aged up to a more adult nature. Um, but what drove her, what kept her sane, what was the, um, the backstory there that allowed her to um, make it that long? And at the, at the end of uh, that one, 70 years, when she does achieve a better life form, um, she is really dedicated to Chris Gordon and Tatiana Demidova, who are the main characters of the series. And that's her, her title, Dark and Night, because she is a fixer who will do anything to anyone who threatens the people that she thinks of as most important. Interesting. So I'm curious, with your serials, what sort of research into the occult or other things did you have to do? I'm always researching. I kind of write by the seat of my pants. I don't know, um, and not to get too far into the craft of it, but I always have a, um, an idea of what I want to do, but I don't know all the particulars. So I am, while I'm writing, I might suddenly be Googling off into what happened in World War I in this particular town at this particular time. Um, the other day I was, um, I was researching women's suffrage in the turn of the century because that happens to be where Katrina is at the moment. And uh, so I'm, I'm finding out a lot of different things that um, I never knew before. The, the occult stuff is just another aspect that needs to be researched. Um, I sort of have created my own system of, of magic, which may or may not blend in with any other occult folklore. I try to follow some of that, but I also create my own system. But if I'm going to ask you to suspend your disbelief about magic, then I need to give you as much concrete information that's factual as possible so that you have a basis to say, you know, okay, I can follow this story because it's just not all BS. There's, there's a lot of concrete stuff here. Um, so I'll, I'll give them the magic. I'll give them the werewolves and the vampires. And so that entails just research in almost everything. 
Do you mind going a little bit more into the magic system? Like what kind of things fascinate you in your story that you kind of would want readers to know about? Uh, I think they're there. Uh, so when I went to college, I started as a biology major. I was very heavy into science. Um, I realized after a certain amount of time that I wasn't going to make it in a laboratory. And I guess my, it was my, my fruit flies kept dying underneath the microscope and the weather was beautiful outside and all my friends were playing in the quads and throwing frisbees and, and I was reeling from ether fumes when I anesthetized these fruit flies. So I realized mm, maybe the laboratory's not where John belongs. But that science background has stuck with me. And as I have just sort of generally observed things um, as I've grown through the years, I've become fascinated with the idea of quantum mechanics, quantum physics. We, you know, as a, as a kid, I learned about atoms. Well, now they, we go so much smaller than atoms and we get into quarks and nuons and muons and all these other particles. And really nobody fully understands what they do. And to me, that gives you a basis for all kinds of different things. You can have energy usage on an organic level by a biological entity because we don't know that you can't. You know, we psychic powers become possible. Uh, magical powers become possible. There is a experiment in physics um, where it is changed just by an observer looking at the experiment. How can that happen? How can somebody looking at something change it unless their mind and their um, own personal energy is somehow able to affect reality? And if that's the case, then why can't there be people over time who have you know, learned to do even more? And I also wonder, you know, w humans are really poorly adapted to surviving the wilds of like Africa or primitive uh, prehistoric uh, America. But we did, and we not only survived, but we conquered. And yes, we did it with a big brain, but we had very poor senses, uh, very weak limbs in, com in comparison to other animals. So what gave us an edge? And I firmly believe that there were some mental edges there that went beyond simple um, intelligence scores and uh, maybe the basis for things like telepathy, um, uh, different kinds of psychic um, intuition, if you will. So I guess my magic system is based on the idea that, and this, this goes into the ability of lycanthropes to change um, into a different form and have a different mass. And that's because we're not, even though mass has to be conserved, we're not in a closed system. You know, they could be taking mass from somewhere else on the planet and adding it to their bulk. So I, it just, I guess what it is is I get free license when I use quantum physics, I can get away with almost anything yeah. until somebody comes along and proves different. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I was like you, I started out as a, as a bio major with those darn fruit flies and the white eyes and the red eyes and all oh, of those man. <laughs> experience. And I uh, ended up doing a minor in physics and quantum physics is fascinating. And I like to use it in my fiction as well, because it's just like everything at that level is bananas. Like anything goes, I think. Um, Absolutely. The best explanation was, I think, in Six and Lou's uh, three-body problem. I don't know if you read that, but he talks about if you're playing pool, but at the quantum level, when you break, instead of all the balls going on the table, one flies across the room, one goes up, and one sinks through the table, and that's quantum physics. And I'm like, right. yeah, that's pretty much the way that it goes. So 
And, and the one that goes through the table goes through the planet and pops <laughs> and up right the other down. Side. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. And uh, the idea of entanglement where you could have particles that are somehow entangled with each other. And no matter how much distance you put between them, if one of them does something, the other does it exactly the same moment. Yeah. You've done away with the uh, sort of space time problem of communicating over distance or, you know, even across the, the, the reaches of space. Yeah. Absolutely. It's fascinating stuff. Um, so is there anything either in this serial or other works that you're planning to explore or want to explore that's new for you? Oh, there's uh, the, my problem is more about kind of reining in what I want to explore and keeping it on one line. Um, I, my brain goes all over the place. A little bit of ADD, maybe. I, I've definitely got a, a, a factor with my attention on, on different stories. So I think I'm nearing the end of the um, Demon Accords beginnings with Levi. We're going to, you know, we're, we're reaching a point where Declan is in high school and we're going to reach a level where we're, we're meeting up with the events of Executable. And at that point, I think that's, that Vela is complete. But I have another Vela, which actually has to do with um, my Zone War series. So I have a couple different series. I have the Demon Accords is the biggest series. Uh, but then... One day, I just wondered what would happen if you wrecked Manhattan with a bunch of autonomous combat drones, and I went from there, and I created a a series called Zone War, Um, and at the end of it, uh, a lot of events occurred, um, which we're kind of in eerie parallel with right now. So I have another Vela that I'm going to be putting together called Apocalypse High, as in high school. Um, Not a drug-induced high, but but, uh, (laughs) children who are growing up after... Um, a slow melt of society and civilization. What are they learning? How are they acting? Um, they're the children of the characters of the Zone War series. So, what does that look like? And um, I just have an, an interest in exploring that one. So, you have several Vela projects in the works and that you're working on. I'm curious, what do you like most about writing serial fiction? Uh, it's it's quick. Um, each chapter is almost its its, its own episode, um, and they don't have to be. I can jump timeline a little bit. I can take uh, Levi in one episode, finishing it, and the next episode I can jump forward six months and Declan starting high school. Um, I don't have to follow quite the same timeline I do with a book that is is got its own story arc within it, and then feeding into the greater arc of the of the series. I can uh, do things very compactly, uh, explore a particular um, scene or situation that I've wondered about in my head, and um, and then move on to the next one. So it's a little bit therapeutic in that regard. I don't always have to try to connect uh, the ongoing story. I'm writing um, the next book in the Demon Accord series is called Blood Cull, and um I'm about halfway through it, and that one has slowed way down because I'm wrestling with a number of different things, and I'm actually exploring some of what I'm wrestling with in this Demon Accords Beginnings Vela with Declan because it's all about Declan and, and choices that he has to make, um, choices he's never had to make before and that people have always been afraid he would make. So um, the Vela is actually helping me get through a tough part of the book by letting me explore sort of the, the grounding of the character, if that makes any sense at all. That makes absolute, absolute sense. I love that. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. 
Our thanks today to John Conroe for letting us share their episode. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. If you liked it, you can read the first three episodes free on Kindle Vela. The link is in the show notes. Also, if you're a writer, we have a companion podcast, The Writer's Serial Fiction Show, where we talk with authors about their stories and discuss the elements of writing compelling serial fiction. We want to thank you for listening to The Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, we read all of them and take your suggestions. You can also leave a comment on this episode on our website, SerialFictionShow.com. Finally, we now have a Patreon where you can get Serial Fiction Show episodes early and other great stuff. We have tons of things in the works. Check it out at Patreon.com slash Serial Fiction Show. Thanks. And we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And And that's that's a a wrap. It's so funny that we all have fruit fly stories. Uh, you have I one definitely, too? Yeah, I'm a biochem major. And oh, uh, I just, yeah, uh, we had, um, yeah, we had a, a lab where we had to rip their heads off. <laughs> and um, the salivary glands have chromosomes in them and they're visible by a, a standard microscope. Uh, they're wow. like whichever ones we were using. Uh, so some people were like ripping hundreds of heads off to get these salivary glands. Oh. And it took like weeks. Well, yeah, it was. By the time I got done, I was ready to do a lot of head ripping myself, but I didn't. <laughs> oh, I gave I up. Did, yeah, I did too. I got through it. But I was at that point, I was like, hmm, these economics and management science classes I'm taking are really interesting. And I love the theory that money can make money and I can lie back and read books. So that's got me interested. Oh, I wish I had learned that young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so that was ripping heads off and smashing eyeballs. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh you have to have some precision to do that with a fruit fly so mm-hmm. you know, kudos yeah. To you. yeah well i didn't become a surgeon so it didn't really stick for anything <laughs> <laughs> oh well was dumb was dominated <laughs> <laughs> welcome to serial fiction show after dark yeah <laughs>